This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of osteoporotic vertebral compression fracture from the spine section on orthobullets.com. An osteoporotic vertebral compression fracture is a fragility fracture of the spine. And in fact, vertebral compression fractures are the most common fragility fracture with approximately 700,000 vertebral compression fractures occurring every year in the United States. There are roughly 70,000 hospitalizations annually related to vertebral compression fractures, which translates into $15 billion in annual costs. These fractures affect up to 25% of people over 70 years old and 50% of people over 80 years old. History of two vertebral compression fractures is the strongest predictor of future vertebral fractures in postmenopausal women. The pathoanatomy of vertebral compression fractures is related to osteoporosis, which is a quantitative, not qualitative, disorder of bone mineralization that is characterized by thinned cortices and cancellous bone with decreased trabecular continuity. The bone mineral density in the lumbar spine peaks at between 33 to 40 years old in women and between 19 to 33 years old in men. The peak bone mineral density is widely variable on demographic factors and location in the body, and it tends to decrease with age following peak mass, and it correlates well with bone strength and is a good predictor of fragility fracture. The World Health Organization defines osteoporosis as a T-score below minus 2.5. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recently published their recommendations for screening for osteoporosis. They recommend evaluation and screening for osteoporosis in all women aged 65 years or older and in younger women who have osteoporotic compression fractures. Compromised pulmonary function is an associated condition with vertebral compression fractures. Increased kyphosis can affect pulmonary function, and each vertebral compression fracture leads up to a 9% reduction in flow volume. As far as prognosis of osteoporotic vertebral compression fractures, One-year mortality is approximately 15%, which is less than that of a hip fracture, while the two-year mortality is approximately 20%, which is equivalent to a hip fracture. The major symptom of an osteoporotic vertebral compression fracture is pain. 25% of vertebral compression fractures are painful enough that patients seek medical attention. Pain is usually localized to the area of the fracture, but may wrap around a rib cage if there's a dermatomal distribution. Major points about the physical exam for compression fracture patients are that there may be focal tenderness with deep palpation of spinous processes. Multiple compression fractures can lead to local kyphosis. It's important to remember that signs of spinal cord compression are very rare, but you may see nerve root deficits with compression fractures of the lumbar spine that lead to severe foraminal stenosis. As far as imaging, the major modalities for workup are plain radiographs, CT, and MRI. Radiographs are the only modality truly needed for diagnosis. You want to obtain radiographs for the entire spine, where concomitant spine fractures are found in 20% of cases. And the things to look for are loss of anterior, middle, or posterior vertebral height by 20% or at least 4 millimeters. CT scan is usually not necessary for diagnosis. Indications are typically when a neurologic deficit is found in the lower extremity, and or if the plain films are inadequate. MRI is also usually not necessary for diagnosis. However, it is useful to evaluate for an acute versus a chronic nature of a compression fracture, injury to the anterior and posterior ligamentous complex, 
spinal cord compression by disc or osseous material, and or cord edema or hemorrhage. As far as laboratory studies, a full medical workup should be performed in these patients with a CBC, basic metabolic panel, and an ESR to help rule out infection. And finally, SPEP and UPEP may be useful to help rule out multiple myeloma. The other diagnosis on the differential in the setting of a compression fracture is metastatic cancer to the spine. It must be considered and ruled out. The following variables should raise suspicion. Fractures above T5, atypical radiographic findings, failure to thrive, and constitutional symptoms, or in a younger patient with no history of a fall. Non-operative management of patients with a compression fracture includes observation, bracing, and medical management. The majority of patients can be treated with observation and gradual return to activity. If the posterior longitudinal ligament is intact, even in cases of greater than 30 degrees kyphosis or greater than 50% loss of vertebral body height, non-operative management is still indicated. If the compression fracture is less than 5 days old, calcitonin can be used for 4 weeks to decrease pain. Medical management can consist of bisphosphonates to prevent future risk of fragility fractures, and some patients may benefit from an extension orthosis, although compliance can be an issue. Let's consider the case of a 71-year-old female who has no significant medical comorbidities who presents to the emergency department after sustaining a compression fracture of L2. The patient has moderate back pain but is neurologically intact. Radiographs of the entire spine reveal an L2 compression fracture with 30% loss of vertebral body height and 15 degrees of local kyphosis. In this case of an elderly female who sustained a compression fracture as a result of low-energy trauma, initial treatment of the osteoporotic compression fracture without neurologic compromise will consist of pain control, progressive increase in activity levels, and a thoracolumbosacral orthosis. If pain continues after six weeks of non-operative therapy, kyphoplasty or vertebroplasty are available options. If a neurologic deficit is present, management would include surgical decompression and stabilization. Wood et al. conducted a prospective randomized trial and showed no significant difference between patients who were treated with and without surgery for a stable thoracolumbar burst fracture in a neurologically intact patient. As far as surgical options for compression fractures, as we mentioned, vertebroplasty, kyphoplasty, and surgical decompression and stabilization are the major options. In the recently published treatment guidelines for osteoporotic spinal compression fractures, the AAOS recommends strongly against the use of vertebroplasty. Vertebroplasty has higher rates of cement extravasation and associated complications than kyphoplasty, which is why they are not recommended. AAOS guidelines report kyphoplasty is an option for patients who present with an osteoporotic spinal compression fracture on imaging with correlating clinical signs and symptoms, although they note the strength of their recommendation is limited. Randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials have shown no beneficial effect of vertebroplasty as compared with a sham procedure in patients with painful osteoporotic vertebral fractures. Buckbinder et al. performed a randomized double-blinded placebo-controlled trial where patients were given a sham procedure to greaten the double-blind effect. Outcomes were assessed at one week and at one, three, and six months. The primary outcome was overall pain on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being the maximum imaginable pain, 
at three months. They found vertebroplasty did not result in a significant advantage in any measured outcome at any point. There were significant reductions in overall pain in both study groups at each follow-up assessment. Calmes et al. performed a multi-center trial which randomly assigned 131 patients who had 1 to 3 painful osteoporotic vertebral compression fractures to undergo either a vertebroplasty or a simulated procedure without cement. They found improvements in pain and pain-related disability associated with osteoporotic compression fractures in patients treated with vertebroplasty were similar to the improvements in the control group. So basically very similar results to those found in the Buckbinder study. The indications for kyphoplasty is when a patient continues to have severe pain symptoms after six weeks of non-operative treatment. Again, the AAOS recommends that kyphoplasty may be used, but the recommendation strength is limited. Kyphoplasty and vertebroplasty are both performed under fluoroscopic guidance. A percutaneous transpedicular approach is used for the cannula, and in a vertebroplasty, PMMA is injected directly into cancellous bone without cavity creation. It is performed when cement is more liquid and requires greater pressures because no cavity is created, and therefore the risk of extravasation into the spinal canal is greater. An extravasation of PMMA into the spinal canal can cause neurological injury, and it's important to consider defects in the posterior cortex of the vertebral body if these procedures are done. In a kyphoplasty, a cavity is created with an expansion device like a balloon prior to PMMA injection, which is the major difference between a kyphoplasty and a vertebroplasty. It may be possible to obtain partial reduction of fracture with a balloon expansion as well. Kyphoplasty is also performed when the cement is more viscous than in the case of a vertebroplasty, and since a cavity is created by balloon expansion in a kyphoplasty, the cement can be injected with less pressure. Any pain relief from these procedures is thought to be from elimination of micromotion from the cement. Surgical decompression and stabilization is very rare in standard vertebral compression fracture cases. However, it is indicated in cases of progressive neurologic deficit as well as in cases of posterior longitudinal ligament injury and unstable spines. To prevent possible failure due to osteoporotic bone in these cases, you should consider long constructs with multiple fixation points and also consider a combined anterior fixation. Gertzbein conducted a study comprised of 1,119 patients who sustained a traumatic thoracolumbar fracture and they were followed prospectively for two years. 10.5% were compression fractures while 63.9% were burst fractures. They found 11 positive relationships, including relative improvement in neurologic status following surgery, anterior surgery compared to posterior surgery was more effective when evaluated using the Manaby et al. criteria, and a kyphotic deformity of greater than 30 degrees was associated with more intense back pain. That's all for this review about osteoporotic vertebral compression fracture. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.